0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You're
2: listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara.
3: Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Wednesday, July the 24th. I'm your host, D.A., and in Miami, hope springs eternal. Now, nobody believes the Dolphins will actually be competitive this year, but could it be the start of them finally turning around a franchise that has been mediocre, below mediocre, and right around the middle of the pack for a long time? Well, the start is a new head coach in Brian Flores and a new quarterback in Josh Rosen. Will Rosen end up being the quote-unquote chosen one? Perhaps. If he's not, they might end up having the number one draft pick for a quarterback this upcoming draft. But for now, it's the new head coach that everybody is looking at. And here's longtime NFL writer Peter King on Flores coming out of the Patriots coaching tree with the Joe Rose Show on WQAM in Miami. (laughs) Peter, Flores gets hired uh, down here, and you know it's, it's the coach that was underneath uh, Bill Belichick. We've seen this kind of before. Charlie Weiss is of the world. Romeo Cornell's of the world. Is there, is there something different with Flores from those guys? Because those guys didn't do well when they had their own teams and they were away from Belichick. Do you see something different in Flores?
4: Well, you know, I don't know Brian all that well. I met him at the Combine this year for the first time. He's a very intelligent guy. He is a guy who I believe players are really going to like and identify with. Um, so I think there's a lot of good about him, but I think he's so unknown. I think, I think that is the part of this that I just really can't tell yet. Um, and so, but but the point I would make about him is I think he's going to be a guy who players really want to play for, because the one thing you would find if you, you know, last year at the Super Bowl, everybody is knowing that, you know, Flores is kind of the hot guy. And everybody is asking the players about him. And there was, I don't want to say a reverence for him, but a very, very deep respect um, for him. And I think that's one of the things, as I look at it right now, he's going to get players to play for him. He's going to get players to play hard for him. He will have a core of players at the end of this year, who he trusts implicitly and who trusts him. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, that Stephen Ross and Chris Greer and, and this organization obviously uh, really liked him from the first time they met him in an interview.
1: Peter, I wanted to ask you, Roger Goodell's handling uh, recently of Tyree Kill, which is kind of a can't-win situation. What did you think the way he handled it?
4: Uh, You know, Judy Batista of of NFL Network and NFL.com, I thought had a great tweet, I don't know, yesterday or two days ago, and her tweet was basically that, you know, and she works for the NFL, so, you know, she said the inconsistency of these punishments is just so overwhelmingly noticeable. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is in a he said, she said situation with a woman and uh he gets six games Tyreek Hill is in a he said she said situation and again I think it's unfair a little bit yes uh, unfair uh you know the son in this case has a broken arm I think it's unfair to jump to the conclusion that he had to do it I don't know how that happened none of us right now know how that happened but You know, there was some really inflammatory language spoken from him to her that was caught on audio tape. In my opinion, there was so much smoke around Tyreek Hill that I thought the smoke plus the fact that he spoke in such a, a threatening way to her. I thought he should have gotten two games, even if you decide, we can't tell how this kid's arm was broken. I'm not trying to minimize that in any way, but the fact is, you can't convince somebody if there's, if there's significant doubt over how an event happened, and I think they just don't know how this kid's arm got broken. But I do think he should have gotten something.
3: The history is not kind to former Patriots assistant coaches striking out on their own. Cronell bust. Charlie Weiss bust. Josh McDaniels as a head coach bust. Eric Mangini bust. Bust. Bill O'Brien has been serviceable, but when that is the benchmark for head coaches coming out of your system, that's a problem. Now, maybe Brian Flores is different. Perhaps he's a guy that can break the mold, but there is always the problem with hiring those away from the Patriots organization. Are they really all that talented or successful or bright away from the Belichick shine? I mean, Matt Patricia another guy that last year took a lot of criticism after supposedly being the next Bill Belichick. Nobody's going to be the next Bill Belichick. There's going to be a lot of imposters. And if Belichick doesn't share his wealth of information and protect it from his assistant coaches because he's worried about those assistant coaches going out there and using it against him, or if he's ultimately the guy that has everything run through him and doesn't truly empower his assistants, how successful can they really be away from the Patriots nest in Cleveland it's always talk about Odell Beckham but Odell Beckham keeps talking about his former team the New York Giants and Odell's not happy that other people keep bringing up the New York Giants and his past here's Odell on Bull and Fox's podcast 92.3 the fan in Cleveland
5: Odell Beckham Jr. is with us you talked about being really happy in Cleveland tell tell me why what makes you happy here I think it's just a a breath of fresh air. You know, I know that I haven't i have been perfect in the past. I know I've done things wrong, um, but I felt that I can never escape that. I can never get past those moments. You know, people only want to talk about, you know, uh, the catch or the stuff with Josh Norman. And it's like, how can a person ever grow if that's all that's ever brought back up and thrown in your face? Um, How can we ever grow all together as a community, society? All of that. So I felt like I could just never escape it. I felt like, you know, I was defined by my hair, which, you know, I know me, and it's like, that's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not right. all of who I am. So it just feels good to, to be in a new place, a new start. And, you know, even though I still hear and feel things from, from my old past, like I, in my heart and soul, like I'm giving myself a fresh start, whether anybody else does or not. Like, I'm, I'm going to give myself a fresh start.
4: Odell Beckham Jr. is with us. Odell, you know, when the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield, I saw. I said on the air. I said, "I love Baker. Things to be a great player." My one concern about Baker is, would the emotions get the best of him? And as time went by, I think I realized. And I don't know Baker personally, but I think I realized that Baker feeds off that emotion and plays better because of it. Yeah. Are you the same type of guy? Do you feed off that emotion? Does that make
5: you a better player? It, it definitely does. Um, there, there's also a time and a place where you know I, I've worked on it. Um, but I think because of all the other frustrations I had, you know, it wasn't necessarily. It's not not getting the football. It's like you want to win that bad, but you also feel like you you can't help your team win. And um, I I watched Baker, and that's something I didn't know coming over here that it wasn't just for me to get a fresh start. Like, I really look at him, and I'm like, I have somebody who I'm going to be working with who I also have to help. You know, I've been through a lot more than than he has, and I've had to deal with these things, so I feel like I can help him in any kind of way with that. Um, And I just think that it's going to be – it's going to be fun, you know, Baker, I love seeing him dance. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very similar. So I I couldn't be more excited about the opportunity I have for real.
4: You know, I, I, obviously he is uh, a much
5: younger quarterback. Has that relationship kind of helped that you guys are more close in age? Definitely closer in age. Um, it just is, uh, you know, he's got a lot of experience and stuff to learn. You know, he's got a lot of things to learn. Um, but that's exciting to be able to, to do this with him. Last thing, Odell, the haters. Yep. Do you want
4: to ignore them now, going forward, or you want to shut them up with your play? Uh, what are you thinking about that?
5: Both. You know, I'm ignore them and shut them up with my play. Just uh, there's there's no point. I don't I don't understand this world. Why you know this this place should be full of love and there's so much hate that goes around. So they just got to deal with it. That's all I can say to them. Enough balls to go around for the team. There's plenty. Dogs got to eat. You know, let's face it, this
3: is hypocritical for Odell Beckham to say that people keep using his past against him, like the stuff about his hair and the catch and Josh Norman and the field goal post and the kicking net. But those are things that he also uses to market himself. I mean, when he punches the goal post net, when he punches the field goal kicking net, he then goes back to propose to it. So he brings it up. His hair it's not like he's shaving it. It's not like it is just everybody else's hair. It's signature blonde hair that's absolutely quaffed a certain way to grab attention. The catch against the Dallas Cowboys, that's his hood ornament. I mean, so let's get real here. Odell Beckham says, stop bringing up the past, but doesn't realize that he's the one that always brings up the past, and he's the one that markets himself based on the past. Dog's got to eat. Another athlete who's broke. Future Hall of Fame running back Adrian Peterson is in debt and that's been reported because of multiple lawsuits against him. Here are the Sports Junkies on 106 7 the Fan in DC.
0: It sucks that it keeps happening to athletes but somehow they keep entrusting their money, you know, their hard-earned money to people that, you know, don't have their best interests. I'm in just
6: going to defend them in this sense, Cakes. You don't always know who to trust. That's true, especially if you come from maybe you come from a tough place yeah you don't and those naive, people are probably naive probably not un- educated about like certain things people that you can trust aren't necessarily around the corner okay but it's, but it's common it's sense
7: common. isn't it common sense i'm telling you when you make that much money why do you have to invest in so many other businesses you don't
6: necessarily have to you don't but like you, you might shouldn't. have it but you might have a money person that you trust look you say yeah. what you want about Levar ball being a buffoon i'm not gonna argue with you his guy his business partner i told you this we met him seemed but nice but respectable um, very down-to-earth, very mellow. He was stealing from them for years. I, know, I get it. That happens. But, Jason, I, but what I'm, I'm
7: saying is I guarantee you all of his his financial problems aren't caused by trusting the wrong people. I guarantee he was a bad spender. He had a lot I don't of kids. Know he if you pro- say that, I believe pro-
6: it, but I don't know. It, well, did
0: you see the pictures that Darren Ravel tweeted well, uh, no, of it? Adrian Peterson's 30th birthday party? Oh, no. What was it? Let me guess. Well, lavish. It was and overspent a, a Arabian Nights themed party okay. that looked very, very lavish and very said, expensive. Where of, was it? it was it? millions of dollars. Right. Where was it? I don't know, but it was some like event right. center. So he was yeah. a bad spender. So he, here, here, maybe we go into business. We're consultants to athletes. Where we just we just go in with the simplest plan ever yeah. for the for their finances. We go in and say, look, you're going to give us all of your money. And we're going to put it in a high-yield savings account online. And you're going to get a monthly allowance. And if you go over your monthly allowance, sorry, you're going to have to find another way to basically get by. We're just right. not going to give you access to this money that's over here in a safe vehicle so that when you're 40 and you're not playing anymore, mm-hmm. you actually have access to money. It's grown over the last 15 or 20 years. I'm telling you, there's a market for this. I, wish,
7: I would love to do it. I wouldn't charge a lot. Wouldn't charge a lot to give that advice. Exactly.
0: The,
6: good, the just, good news is he's Adrian Peterson. He's still going to earn some money because he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to be in the, like, the memorabilia circuit and that kind of thing. But it's kind well, of a his, gross. But living, his
0: endorsement but, appeal is next to zero after yeah. the, the child abuse story. But think about think how he's high He's not going to get endorsements, think he's going to do a lot of autograph at his, signs. at his
7: peak. At his yeah.
0: peak, he was...
7: He was he was probably getting hundreds of thousands of dollars for these appearances. I, I would guess signing stuff,
0: and it uh, just went out the window. But then, like Valdez said, he he spends a million dollars or whatever on a, a stupid thirtieth birthday party.
7: Yeah, I mean that's just dumb. Like, why
0: would you do that? Just because just he's because, stupid. Just because you, you know you're at this point, you're a millionaire. You're going to spend a million dollars on a birthday party for yourself? I mean, he, that's just dumb.
7: And that six point six million dollar debt I ain't going anywhere. Well, he's going to have to file for bankruptcy. Why hasn't he done that already? I would just file for bankruptcy and, because he's going to lose everything. And then well, you got to start over. Wouldn't you rather file for bankruptcy and not be on the hook for the $6.6 6
6: Well, but he's probably got homes and cars and stuff that he'd like to keep. And then there's a, not the, the trickle-down
0: effect. Like when, when he's busto and has no money, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to hit up like his buddy Trent Williams for money. And then, then Trent Williams is going to have gonna, to say, Sorry, man, I can't help you out.
7: No, you know what he's going to do? Alan Iverson's in the same boat where Allen Iverson needs cash. Yeah. And he always goes to the Sixers whenever he needs money. Right. And he goes, hey, I'll come ring the bell for you during game. The- <laughs> right. right. And they'll pay, him, they'll pay him 15, 20K, whatever it is for, for a halftime appearance. Isn't
0: that trust that he had set up by Reebok? Isn't that set to like kick in? It's supposed to. Like yeah. in like the next five or seven years? Yeah, I'm not but, sure.
7: But he's also another guy who wasn't very good with his money. Right. I don't know. It's just sad. It just frustrates me because I covet.
0: Right, I'm coveting, coveting him. You covet what he had.
7: I covet what he had and what he could have. Yeah. And I just know that if I had that kind of money, God damn, I'd be real smart about it.
3: I mean, that's the only reason Adrian Peterson is still playing football. He's 34 years old. He's on a team that's unlikely to make the playoffs in Washington. He certainly shouldn't need the money after nearly $100 million in career earnings and a guy that's a surefire fire first ballot Hall of Famer coming up five years after he retires. What does he need to be hanging on with Washington for? It's for the cash. And just how sad is that that a guy could need money that bad because he has squandered it all after making $100 million? I mean, think about a guy, Walter Payton, Gail Sayers, Jim Brown. I mean, those guys made pennies compared to what Adrian Peterson has made, and Peterson has apparently blown it all. Booger McFarlane from Monday Night Football joined Clint and Kamla, Sports Radio 610 in Houston, and answered the question, whether the Houston Texans should page Davion Clowney what he's worth. What would be your price point
8: with him? Well, I, I think my price point would be somewhere um, somewhere close, maybe not at the Aaron Donald or Khalil Mack level, but somewhere below. Now, that doesn't mean that he's worth the money they're making that just means that the time value and opportunity is is in his favor you know oftentimes guys we equate salary with worth. salary to me is about timing and being next in line prime example Dak Prescott is going to sign a contract that's going to say uh average new money probably 35 million dollars a year uh, does that mean he's the, the 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 best quarterback in the National Football League no he's going to be the highest paid why because he's next in line, he would be. He has the potential of being a free agent after the season's over if they don't franchise him. Even if they franchise him, that number is going to be an astronomical number. So he's in a position of leverage. So therefore, the dominoes are in his favor. So he's just next in line. It's about opportunity. So as that pertains to Devion Clowney, I, I mean, if you look at what he's done, former number one overall pick. Yes, he was hurt early on, but I, I, I dare anyone to look at his film last year and find me a guy that played the run in the past as well collectively. Yeah, there were guys that were better pass rushers. Yeah, there may have been guys that played the run better. But find me a guy that played both equally as well, and I think uh, he deserves to be paid. Now, I I think one of the bigger issues in Houston is the front office setup because let's just say the owner wanted to pay Jadeveon Clowney. Like, who's negotiating a deal right now? Like, who's the guy that's going to say, Let's do this deal. I, I think the front office situation in Cleveland is one of the many things that's hindering that deal from getting done.
1: Talk, talk to me a, a little bit more about the Clowney deal, because I, I, I agree with you from a standpoint of when you watch it, Booger, you and I both are big film guys. When you turn the film on, I, I'll, I want you to find a guy. Some will say, well, he hadn't played to his potential. I want you to find a guy that's got a higher ceiling. I mean, that that guy's ceiling and the the way you can use him and the versatility is absolutely ridiculous. But in Houston, there's a lot of talk of the attempt to be the Patriots South and the belief in where to allocate dollars on the defensive side of the ball and maybe having two roundabout $20 million guys in Watt and Clowney is not something Belichick and the Patriots would do. What do you make of the statement of Bill O'Brien, he's cut from that Patriot cloth, where is he allocating dollars on the defensive side of the football? Are they trying to be the Patriots of the South? Where do you sit on that on that uh, discussion?
8: Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with being the Patriots. I mean, they've been to nine Super Bowls and, <laughs> and Brady's got six rings. So, I mean, I would try to emulate that also. Uh, but more importantly, I, I think, you know, when you try to emulate other organizations, what are you emulating? Because you can't emulate the players. So are you emulating the philosophy? Are you emulating the, the culture, the environment? Uh, I wouldn't know because I haven't been in the building in Houston every day. Uh, I've met Bill O'Brien. I really like Bill O'Brien. I think he's a tireless worker. I think you have to be careful anytime you go to an organization. You've got to be yourself, be who you are. And I think that the Texans went on a run last year uh, getting into the postseason and showing people that they can play some good football. The biggest issue for me in Houston is not trying to emulate the Patriots. It's going to be can we get the offensive line fixed? Can you get that line fixed and design an offense that can take advantage uh, of Deshaun Watson's skill set? But also can you force him, him being Watson, to play from the pocket just a little bit more? Because I think it has to be a combination. He can't be a guy that's going to play on the, on the edges every down. He's got to drop back one, two, three, four, five. Clint, you know this, and put his foot in the ground and make that throw to DeAndre Hopkins. The offense has to be in rhythm and it has to be on time. Now, he's got the great – skill set when the offense is not on time or it breaks down now he can create but that needs to take place if and when he has to not as a first thought and and i think if they'll do that then i think the whole patriot south thing will translate into winning remember without an acting
3: general manager stuff gets real cloudy and it's possible that Bill O'Brien makes this call to get himself in the good graces of the next GM. You know, if the next general manager inherits a bloated contract from Clowney and Clowney does not live up to it, suddenly the blood is on the hands of Bill O'Brien. But if he pushes this off and says, we're not going to pay you right now, then it's not his responsibility, and he could say he saved money for the next guy coming in. Bill O'Brien is the ultimate survivalist. That's how he's gotten this long in Houston without really winning anything of significance and surviving multiple GMs. Believe me, that could be part of the equation here for Bill O'Brien, a guy out of the Patriots organization. Now in Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens have won two Super Bowls since 2000 and are routinely one of the best teams in the AFC and have competed in big-time playoff games for a long time. And Last year, back into the postseason, now with a dynamic young quarterback in Lamar Jackson. Meantime, the Orioles are a disaster. So here are the guys on 105.7, the fan in Baltimore, in the Big Bad Morning Show, debating whether Baltimore is still a great baseball town.
7: Put it this way, I think it's still a baseball town. There are people that love this team, but it's definitely, they're, taking, they're second to the Orioles now. I the Ravens, I think. I mean, yeah.
9: football's king here.
10: I would agree. I would agree. Uh, listen, the Orioles, we all know, have been here a lot longer. Mm-hmm. But baseball has attendance issues.
9: All across the board. For a while. Mm-hmm.
10: And it's easy to pick on the Orioles when they're going through their first ever rebuild and stacking up last-place seasons.
9: It's also unfair that in the, in the piece he talks about, or they talk about, when the Camden Yards first opened, the team was hovering around 500, and they got 33,000 people at the games. Well, a couple things. It's a brand-new stadium, a beautiful brand-new stadium, and there's no football here. Right. That's it's, true. Like, it's unfair. To, and there were no
10: Washington Nationals at that right. point. Right. So it's completely unfair. Yeah. Completely different circumstance than today's Orioles. No doubt about it. I wouldn't say either team is thriving right now in Baltimore, to be honest with you. The Ravens are running ads to sell seats. The Orioles played to thousands of empty seats nightly.
9: Yeah, but the Ravens are doing just fine because of the, the because the NFL has that national TV contract. They're they doing are. just fine.
10: They are, but they're still peddling tickets out there. Where sure. I've never heard that before. Yeah, the, the, especially this late. Going into the season.
9: I don't want to get too far off track here, but the NFL, the the ticket money is almost greed money for them now because they make so much money elsewhere. I saw Forbes has the Ravens as the 29th most valuable franchise in sports (laughs) ahead of all the other teams in the division. Well, you know, so Steve Bashotti is doing quite fine. They'd like to sell more tickets, obviously, but I I don't think there's any NFL team, save for the Raiders, and I don't know what the heck's going on there, that's having any money issues because they've got money rolling in. Well,
10: in general, football teams are worth more than baseball teams, unless you're the Yankees, you're the one exception, and maybe the Red Sox or Dodgers. But... Yeah, I thought this was an unfair piece. Um, I understand the attendance has decreased since the riots and since the losing began. Mm. It's kind of natural it would go that course.
9: And also, Ed, something that needs to be pointed out. Okay, so they had the five good seasons from 2012 to 2017. But this team has seen a lot of bad since 1998. He had the 14 straight losing seasons, and you have this decent run, and now bad again, and we know this is going to be bad. I think that this this town is a sleeping kind of giant of a baseball town. And if they get to the other side of this, you will see more people at the yard. I think when the entertainment dollar is is such that people need – they're not as willing to spend as they used to be, you need to give people a reason to come out to the park, and they want to see a good product. And I think if you give them a good product, they're going to come out. I totally agree with that. I think if they be if they become relevant again and they're competitive – not competitive, I hate I hate that word. I, I hate it too because Duquette a winning team. used to always talk yeah, about it. Yeah, if
7: they become a winning team again and, and have you know a shot at a, a pennant – you'll see the place packed.
3: The Orioles are such a tradition in Baltimore that you'll never be able to scrub it clean of quote unquote, beat a baseball town. If the Orioles are good, fans are going to come out. The ballpark is gorgeous. And when they were great back in the nineties, that ballpark was on fire. Now to the guy's points that there were no Ravens back then that started later than when Camden yards opened up in the early nineties. But Let's face it, if the Orioles gave that town something to talk about, something to crave, then they would be there. There's no doubt about it, but the Ravens are just far more competitive than the Orioles, and that's why there's so much more attention on them and so many more tickets bought, so much more revenue coming in to the football team. And finally, in baseball, the trade deadline's coming up not too long from now at the end of the month, and the New York Mets are probably going to be sellers because this is a team that's still eight games under 500. But should Noah Syndergaard be one of the guys traded? Could Thor be on the deadline trading block coming up here from Brody Van Wagen and the Mets organization? Well, here's Mike Francesa on WFAN in New York.
2: Everyone now has, uh, you know, come to the conclusion the Mets are sellers. Uh, uh, The question is, have the Mets come to the conclusion that they're sellers um, if they have, then the question is who goes. Uh, I would think they probably have, and you can get the easy guys. Um, but the where it all starts and stops is with Syndergaard. And to me, uh, I keep hearing, or in some place, I keep hearing, that this this is the optimum time to trade Syndergaard. I could not disagree more. How is this the optimum time to trade Syndergaard? He is way off what have been anywhere near his career performances at 26 years of age. He's one of the hard-throwing most dominant pitchers in the sport. He is regarded as one of the most talented starting pitchers in the entire sport, but he is off his game. He has been off his game most of this season. He is a full run above his career ERA. He is down in strikeouts. He is up in whip. Why would you ever, A, trade him off these numbers, And B, limit the number of teams you talk to only dealing with contending teams. Wait till the season's over. You have him under control for a couple more years so he's marketable. And then bring everybody in baseball into the mix if you want to trade him. And trade him after two more months where hopefully he's regained some command, which he looks like he may be doing, and puts up some real numbers. I do not throw him into this pennant race right now and think I'm going to – but here's what I would do, okay? Yankees call for Syndergaard. If the conversation starts with Torres, we talk. If the conversation doesn't start with Torres, I hang up the phone. Okay? Case closed. If I'm the Mets, I am not sending one of the most talented pitching performers. And Syndergaard is that. Whether you like him or don't, and I've never been a big fan of his. But the fairness is he's got some of the best stuff in baseball. And at 26, he has still plenty of time to reach a vast potential. So if you think I'm going to hand this guy and let him pull his thorn routine for the Yankees and not get something special back, you are out of your mind. So if you aren't willing to give me the piece you got for trading Chapman to the Cubs, I'm not even talking to you. You can go talk to someone else. I'll talk to someone else. I'll talk to the Astros about Syndergaard. I'll talk to the Dodgers about Syndergaard. I'll talk to the Minnesota Twins about Syndergaard. Maybe they have a better deal for me. But I am not trading them in my backyard where I have to watch what happens and deal with what happens for the next decade and not getting back something that I know is an absolute no brainer. And you can't tell me that when you're talking Syndergaard, that phrase is enough. Or that any of the other guys that you're going to mention, Garcia, Anybody else you're going to mention is enough unless you're talking to him. Mike is absolutely right. It doesn't
3: make a lot of sense to trade Noah Syndergaard now when he's had an offseason when you're not selling him at his highest return. I mean, the Mets don't need to trade Noah because he's going to be a free agent coming up this offseason. Instead, they should hold on to him and see if they can reboot next year. I mean, at the end of the day, this Mets team isn't nearly as bad as its record indicates. It's a bullpen that's been a disaster, and if the bullpen hasn't blown more than 20 games, and if they had any timing when it came to their offense, they had just lost three extra inning games over the weekend of the Giants, they would be well over 500. But instead, pitching's been good, bullpen's been horrendous. When the offense has been good, the pitching's been horrendous. And When the pitching's been good, the offense has been horrendous. So, To me, Mike is right. Hold on to Noah Syndergaard until the return is higher because right now it doesn't make any sense to trade him. That's the best of your sports talk for Wednesday, July the 24th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone.
2: Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app.